want to reach the people that no one else is reaching. We're always going to be that weird, loud church that welcomes in people that others may feel like shouldn't be welcome. But I'm going to tell you, if you're hungover or you're barely hanging on at all, we got a place for you at Grace Family Church. That's what we believe. See, when Jesus surrendered his life and gave his life to us because he loves you and he loves me, that's why he surrendered his life. No matter what you may believe or not believe about God, God is for you, not against you. You need to believe that about him. We got to continue to keep reaching because we know this. God can redeem anyone. All right. Well, welcome to Rivalry Weekend here at Grace Family Church. As you notice, I am not wearing a jersey, and that's purposeful. Because I know some of you are petty enough that if I wore the wrong jersey, you wouldn't listen to me. But I want to welcome all of you here. I want to welcome all of you that are watching on our five different campuses. I want to welcome those watching online and the women at Hernando Correctional Institute. Yeah. Well, my name is Hal Mayer. I am the young adults pastor here at Grace. And if you are a young adult and you don't have a place yet, you should join us. We have something called the exchange that meets on every Tuesday night at 730 at the Waters Campus where over 200 young adults come together for some worship, for some teaching, and some community. And here's the deal. We meet every single Tuesday, but we're not meeting this Tuesday. And that's purposeful. That's purposeful because we know what you're about to go through. We know you're about to go home and you're going to deal with a lot of questions and a lot of comments that you don't want to hear. For example, when you go home and if you're single, they're going to ask you, why are you still single? Like, you know the answer, but you didn't tell them. Or your, your dad's going to be like, well, if you looked up from the app and stopped swiping right, maybe you'd find someone. Or if you're bold enough to actually bring your boyfriend or girlfriend, they're asking, so when are you going to get married? When am I going to have grandkids? Your grandma's looking at you going, by the time I was your age, I already had 20 kids and 10 grandkids. What are you doing with your life? But we know that. We know Thanksgiving can be a tough time. In fact, many of you have already looked down at your outline. It says the problem with pain. You're like, the problem with pain, it's a good thing you're talking about that because my pain's flying in Wednesday. But we do. We don't like to talk about pain, do we? We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to deal with it. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us want to walk away from a conversation instead of walking to it. But here's what I've come to understand. I believe this. We can handle pain. We can. As long as we know it has a purpose. We can handle pain as long as we know there is a purpose. I mean, look at people that work out. They spend tons of time in the gym. Why? Because they know they're going to get stronger. They know they're going to build muscle. You have people that run marathons, 26.2 miles of their body telling them they should quit, but they do it. Why? So they can get the sticker that goes on the back of their car. And then my wife's biggest pain in her life was having, giving birth to our son. I mean, I still remember that day. I remember walking into the hospital. Her contractions were about five minutes apart. It actually seemed like it was okay. I think we both thought this was going to be easy. We walk in, we hand the nurse our birth plan. was like, we're going to go all natural, no drugs, no anything. And the nurse kind of looks at us and smiles and says, we'll see. <laughs> and so we're sitting in the room, and I, I'm telling jokes to my wife to keep her in a good mood. We're going back and forth, and all of a sudden I tell a joke, and she doesn't laugh. And I look at the nurse, and the nurse just is going. And then we go through 20 hours of labor. I think that's what it was, maybe 40. I just don't want to be wrong. And the next day, 
After all that pain, after all that agony, we, my wife gives birth to our son, and I have the audacity to hold him up and say, we did it. <laughs> my, life's, my wife's like, we? We? We didn't do anything. You, I, I did something. And if I were to ask my wife, hey, babe, tomorrow, do you want to go through the same pain just for the sake of it? What do you think she would say? Of course not. No. Why? Because there's no purpose to it. There's no purpose to it. In fact, I think that's the problem we have is that we have pain in our lives and many times we don't see a purpose. We don't see a purpose in the pain that we experience. And when that happens, we start to wonder why it's happening. We start to wonder what we're going through. We get frustrated. We want answers. And we become confused and we start to question God. We get to a point many times where we start to blame God. And then in some instances, we even start to doubt that God exists. And what's interesting about that, that idea that pain in our lives is a reason that God doesn't exist, that's a first world deal. When you look at third world countries, if you go on a mission trip to Haiti or to Africa, to all those places, the amount of pain they're going through, none of them are saying that that pain is a reason to doubt God. In fact, when you look at the early church itself, if pain was a reason to doubt God, it wouldn't have lasted. Because think about it. Christianity started with the most awful thing happening to the best person. And then he died and he rose three days later and over 500 people saw him. And they believed so much in who he was that they started telling their friends and they started preaching about it. And hundreds and thousands of people became Christians at a time where it was illegal to be a Christian. In fact, if you were a Christian at that time, you had to deal with the idea that you may be pulled out of your home and beaten or stoned or killed or thrown into jail or thrown into the Colosseum while lions tear you apart and other people laugh. See, Emperor Nero was even known to do this. He would take Christians, tie them to stakes, set them on fire to light his garden parties. Anyone that was a leader of, the Christ of Christianity at that time was killed, was martyred, except for John. See, and it wasn't because they were trying to be nice. It was because every time they martyred a leader, a thousand more Christians popped up. And so what they did is they took John and they put him on the Isle of Patmos and they're like, we're just going to leave you here. And in that time while he was at Patmos, he wrote a couple books of the Bible. And so John, looking back on what he learned from Jesus, looking back at all that he's seen, the pain, the carnage and all that, he decides to sum up who God is to him. And in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, he says this. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. And get this and underline this, for God is love. God is love. Not only that, we see in that verse, he says, God is the source of all love. And I'm not saying these things to make us feel bad. I'm saying this because maybe we're missing something that John saw. Maybe we're missing something that the early church saw. Because when you look at early Christians, they didn't see pain and suffering as a reason or an argument against God. They saw it as a reason and a reminder that they needed him. They saw pain as a reminder that they needed to move towards him. As a reminder, they needed to look to him. Why? They didn't see the big picture, but they knew that God could bring purpose to that pain. See, they knew that God would bring comfort and purpose at a time that was incredibly hard for them. Now, here's what they also understood. God did not cause that pain. 
Now what I want to do right now is I want to correct a little bit of theology that I've seen out there, some uh, social media theology, some things that we say when we, we want to make somebody feel good, but it's not actually true. It's going to come across a little uncouth, and if you don't like it, that's okay. You can email me at mattroden at earthlink.net. But here's what it is, okay? I want you to hear this. God did not kill your relative on purpose for purpose, okay? God did not kill your relative so he could grow your character. God did not kill your relative to bring your family together. God did not cause that accident to happen for a purpose. God did not give you cancer so that you could do these things. Pain is a part of this world. God says, I didn't cause it, but I can bring purpose to it. See, what we've got to understand is pain actually started at the same place where sin did. Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve eating the apple. Adam watching her like a middle school boy watching his friend lick a frozen lamppost. Wondering what's going to happen. And that's the moment though when sin came into the world. That was the moment pain came into the world. That was the moment suffering came into the world. That was the moment that death came into the world. See, it comes from those things. God says, you know what, there's all these things going on, but I can bring purpose. Romans 8.28 says this. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, he's not saying he's working together the good for everything. What he is saying is this, is for those who love him. What does that mean? It means he's going to work your pain for a purpose if you're close enough to hand it off to him. If you're walking with him. If you're giving him your pain, your problems, your baggage that you were never meant to carry daily. See, for God to bring that purpose, we have to be close to him. Because the question has never been, the question has never been, will I have pain? It's always been, will my pain matter? And our pain can matter in God's hands. But the way that we deal with pain today keeps us from having that. See, we, we tend to stuff our pain. We tend to hide our pain. We tend to just hope it goes away. But when we do that, it actually festers. It gives us problems with anger and anxiety. It causes us to become incredibly bitter. It keeps us from what God wants. And many of you, you've gone through such an incredible pain, you don't even want the world to know, and it's been kept a secret in your life. You believe it's better for no one to know. Than for you to let it out. You guys have heard me tell stories before of my wife and what she's done, but when it comes to her secret pain, I want you to hear it in her own words. When I was in elementary school, I was molested by a girl in my neighborhood. Um, again, when I was in middle school by a friend's older brother. And then when I was in high school, I was raped by three people that I thought were my friends. And I was about 28 years old before anybody knew any of my secrets. Anytime I looked back even at pictures of myself growing up, I would look back and I would kind of feel sad or, or sorry for that girl in the pictures because she just seemed so detached and so insecure. And I knew that she held so many secrets. See, because of what I had experienced, the enemy convinced me to never tell a soul. So coming into marriage, I know now that my husband was really only able to love the parts of me that I shared with him. 
um, because the enemy had already convinced me that I was unworthy and unlovable. And if I were to really share who I truly was and the pain and the hurts that I had experienced, if he really truly knew the real me, then he would even worse confirm the lies that the enemy had already convinced me of and that I would be too dirty and too broken for him to stay. See, seven years ago, God would use pain and even my own self-induced pain to pursue me into a state of utter hopelessness. And really the enemy had gotten me to a place where I felt like truly everybody would be better off without me around. So in that moment, I had no other option but to fully trust him. And I became truly desperate for the first time for healing and freedom and desperate for more than just the life of the status quo that I had been living for so long. I attended six months of counseling. Um, I went about once a week and if someone here today, I just wanna say it, if you just need permission to go to counseling, let me just tell you that Jesus plus therapy is okay. Like it's not gonna make you any less of a Christian. God began to transform my mind as I surrendered every wound to him. And it turns out that he actually wanted to do real heart surgery on what I had just tried to simply put a Band-Aid on. But he began to really break my heart for those who are incarcerated. He began to ignite in me a passion and show me that he was going to birth purpose from my pain. And the pieces that I once swore that I would never tell anybody, that I would never tell a soul that I would take to the grave, that he actually wanted to use those very same things, those lies that I had once believed in order to bring healing and freedom to somebody else. Pain can either be your platform or it can be your prison but we get to make the choice. That's what he invites us into. God wants to take your hot mess and make you into a blazing threat for the kingdom of darkness. See, when I married my wife, I only married part of her. I didn't know that. I didn't know what was buried. And I'm not talking about the pain. I, didn't, I was talking about the potential. I don't know what was underneath there. And when she actually decided to take that step and give her pain to God was the moment. God opened her up for so much more. You see, she became a better spouse, a better mother, a better friend, a better leader, a better mentor, a better foster mom. She had the ability to speak life into women's lives that nobody else had. That's because in a moment she decided it was more important to give it to God than to hold on to it. And let me just tell you, there's a lie that, that we believe that if we just hold on to it, it's not hurting anyone. If we, if we hold on to it, if we let it go, it's going to hurt more people than it is right now. And that's not true at all. Please hear this, church. If we don't deal with what hurt us, we will bleed on the people who didn't cut us. If we don't heal what hurts us, we will bleed on the people who didn't cut us. You may not realize you're doing it, but at the least, the people around you are only getting a fraction of who you are. See, pain is a, it's a complicated subject, and I was thinking about this the other day. You know, when you hear girls give testimonies and stuff like that, you hear the word daddy issues many times. 
And when we hear the word daddy issues, we assume, always we assume it's a woman that has them as if men don't have daddy issues. As if men don't have pain from their past with their fathers. And I looked it up. The reason why we don't associate that is because men change the term. It's not daddy issues, it's father wounds. Sounds regal, doesn't it? Like daddy issues is like there's some crazy behind door number two. Father wounds is like you're about to receive a purple heart. But we do, men. We have wounds. We have wounds from our, from our fathers, from men around us. We have wounds all through our lives. The problem is we're very, very good at hiding our pain. In fact, we feel like we must hide our pain. We feel like we can't show the world that there's any weakness in us. Because if there is, that means that we're not really a man. And we hide behind phrases like this. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's a lie. I mean, think about it. If a running back blows out his knee... Is, it, is the team going, hey, we got to give him more money. Oh, man, he's worth so much more now. He's going to be stronger because he got hurt. No, they're not thinking that at all. They're waiting to see how he comes back before they do anything. Because if it's bad enough, they know this, the rest of his life, he won't be a running back who is in the NFL. He'll be someone who walks with a limp. See, men, most of the time, what doesn't kill us gives us a limp. And as men, we like to hide that limp. And we spend all of our emotional energy hiding that limp. And when we spend all that energy hiding that limp, what we do is we set ourselves up to not be approachable. We set ourselves up to be unavailable to all of us around us, all of our family, all of our friends, all of our kids are wondering why they can't get a part of us. It's because we're so busy hiding what we're hurting from. In fact, that's probably the same reason your father felt distant is he was hiding a limp. That he believed he was supposed to hide. Being called to something as a man that he was never called to. See, I think this is the reason why men aren't in community. There's a reason why at Grace there's over 2,000 more women in community. Why in freedom, the place where you learn to deal with your pain and your hurt, there's more than double the amount of women in freedom. I think it's because we are afraid as men that if we get close enough to someone, they'll see our limp. We're afraid if we get close enough to someone, they will see it and they will point it out. And so because of that, just like in our society, in our churches too, we are filled with men trying to hide their limp. Problem is, until we decide to stop hiding our limp, we are only working at a fraction of who God called us to be. And men, understand this, I'm not trying to call you out, I'm trying to call you up. I'm trying to call you to more because the world needs men who are ready to show everyone their limp. Because think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. Who is it that we look up to as men? It's not those that are perfect. We look for the guys that are bruised and bandaged and have cuts and scars. The ones that have war stories that made it through and can tell us how to do it ourselves. See, men, the church needs more men who are battered and bruised but come out the other side and show us how to get to the same place. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10, it says this. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Why? Because through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. What does that mean? When we show the world our pain, God shows the world his love. And men, you got to understand this too. It's not like we're fooling anyone. People see our limp. They do. They may not know what it's from, but they see our limp. There's really no use for us hiding it. 
It's like a 95-year-old man with jet black hair. No one thinks it's genetic. Everybody's just wondering why he did his ear hair too. But I'll tell you this, after spending 13 years in student ministry and three more in young adults, the young men and women of today need help. They are hurting, they are in pain, and they need men and women who are willing to come alongside them and show them the freedom that they already received. Terrence Cole, Pastor Terrence, down at the Ebor campus. If you haven't met him, you should. He is an incredible man with an incredible testimony. I'm not going to share it because I think you should ask him about it. But he, here's the deal. Because of his testimony, he can go into these residential programs, which are not jails, but they're basically, it's that step before jail, but you're too young to go to jail. It's where they, they keep them. These are the statistics. These are the ones that are destined to continue to mess up in their lives. And because of his testimony, Terrence gets to go in and he gets to preach messages to these men. He gets to teach messages to these young men and help them understand. He goes, how? When I teach these messages, you can see they are broken. They are downhearted. They realize that they need change. They realize that something needs to change. They realize that they're, they are broken and they are in pieces. But the problem is when I leave, there's no one there to help them pick up the pieces. He said, how? We don't need men who have it perfect. We don't need men that's e that have even gone through the same things. We just need men that can show them the way. See, I know when you hear me talking about this, and you heard Pastor Craig and April talk about this two weeks ago, you hear us talk about getting involved in the community, getting involved with those that need our help, and you go, how? I can't do it. I can't. I have nothing left. And here's the deal. If you're, if you're hiding a pain, if you're keeping a pain, and you're not giving it up to God, you probably don't have anything left. In fact, if we spend all of our time hiding our emotional pain, we're probably waking up every morning on 10%. And we try to take that 10%, and we try to love our families and get through work. So at the end of the day, we don't have anything left. So it's up to us to hand that over. But know this, the moment that you decide to hand this over to God is the moment you will have a flood of emotions. Mostly negative ones, mostly ones that will want to pull you back. You'll have feelings of guilt and shame and anger and anxiety and depression. Let me let you understand, this is not from God, this is from Satan. Here's why. He knows this, the moment you get freedom, the moment he loses control on you. The moment you get freedom is the moment that you actually become a threat to who he is. And see, we've got to be able to decide to move over. And what God does is this. He does give us emotion. It's called conviction. Here's what conviction is. Conviction is there's a problem, but I know God has a solution and he's reaching out his arm to lift me up. There's a problem, but I know God has a way for me that's out of this. And I know many of your hearts are heavy right now, and many of you are wondering if this is even possible. But know this, and hear this, please. Your greatest ministry, your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest pain. Your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest pain. Think about it. The greatest pain in history God used to change the world. God can use your pain to change the world around you. Now, he doesn't just want to push you out and make you do it yourself. He wants to help. He wants to be there. He wants to walk with you through this pain. He wants to help you through this pain. See, I think many times we don't understand how much God wants to walk with us. 
Many times we see God as a distant God. And I think it goes back a little to the idea of when we say, we say this, we go, Jesus died for our sins. And the truth is, sins were a part of the problem, but sins was not the problem. Sin was not the big problem. The big problem was separation from God. That was the problem. Sin was a part of it, but Jesus came not to die on the cross just for our sins, but Jesus came to die on the cross so that we would no longer be separated from God. See, God sent his son down to this earth on purpose because he goes, I don't want you to walk another day without my help. I don't want you to walk another day without the healing that I can bring to your life. See, I think that's why Jesus went through so much pain. was because we needed to see that he could understand us. And we see Jesus go through incredible relational pain. We see Jesus, when he starts his ministry, his family actually called him crazy. They're like, don't listen to him. And then when he goes to the cross, what happens? He's up on the cross and the men that should have been here, the people that should have been around him, the ones that he loved and cared for and invested in, they were the first ones to run. Why does that matter? Because when you go through your relational pain with your family and your friends, God's going, I understand I've been through it too. See, when you have your emotional pain, it says that Jesus was on the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was crying tears of blood because of the amount of anxiety that he was dealing with. Jesus went through seeing his friend die, Lazarus. And in one moment, he actually was separated from God. When he died, he was separated from God for three days. Why does he want you to understand that? Because when you feel pain, when you feel anxiety, when you feel depression, God goes, I understand you. And he went through physical pain. Up on the cross, the lashes, the crown of thorns, the spear in the side. Why? Because when we go through our physical pain, God wants us to understand. He knows us. I hear people say all the time, but why all the pain and bloodshed? Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't have God just said, hey, you're all forgiven and that's good? Why did that have to happen? And here's why, and we know this in our hearts. Because relationship requires sacrifice. I mean, how do you know your spouse loves you? They're willing to sacrifice. How do you know you have a good friend? They sacrifice for you. The way we raise our kids, what do we do? We sacrifice for them. So wouldn't we expect that if God truly wanted a relationship with us, he would sacrifice his only son, watch him die on the cross because he wanted us to know, this is how much I want to be with you. This is how much I want to walk with you. In fact, right now, here's what I want us to do. I want everyone on all campus to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Right now, if you are someone in here and you have yet to start that relationship with God, I want to help you do that right now. It's three easy things. It's the fact that all we have to do is we have to confess our sins. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose three days later. And we have to commit our lives to him. And God says from that point on, I will take your pain, I will take your suffering, and I will walk with it. So right now, if you want to start that relationship, I'm going to say a prayer out loud that you can say silently at your seat. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. I believe your son Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later. Today, I'm committing my life to you. Today, I'm handing my pain over to you. Today, I'm starting to walk with you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now don't put away your outlines, I'm not done yet. 
But here's the deal, if you started that relationship, here's what's great. Every day we have the ability to walk with God. Every day we have the ability to give our pain over to God. And he tells us who we are, but here's what he also does. He reminds us that this isn't the end. This isn't the final place. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is suffering. But in the end, we will be in a much better place. I mean, think about it. It's the reason we long for it. We look at the world and we go, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something better. I love the way C.S. Lewis said, he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The most probable explanation was that I was made for heaven. That I was made for a better place. See, Jesus said it. He said, one day all of this will be done. See, what we know could be and what we know should be, Jesus said will be. Jesus said it will be. And that's something we can hold on to. But for right now, as they say this, you're not dead, so God's not done. So what does that mean? There's next steps. If you're in here and you're dealing with pain, I've got two steps for you. One is this, is start every day handing it over to God. Start every day giving it to Him and allowing Him to heal you. The second step is this, is that you're bringing someone into the conversation. I don't know who it needs to be, if it's a small group, I don't know if it needs to be a freedom group, I don't know if it needs to be a friend or a counselor, whatever it needs to be. It needs to be someone who can bring wisdom and understanding to your situation. See, we've got to take those next steps. And let me just say this to spouses. You're probably smarter than me, but I made this mistake. See, as a pastor, I've walked with people through many pains and hurts and helped counsel people through many things. But you know what I am horrible at? Counseling my wife. In fact, God said that's not for you. Here's what you need to do. You need to remind her that you love her, and you need to remind her of my love. You need to tell her every day, in my eyes, she is not damaged. She is daughter. And that's what I am supposed to do. See, I don't know what step it is that you need to take, but I pray this. You don't leave this building without moving towards it. Right now, I'd like to ask the campus pastors to come forward and close out the service.